Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. So last week, um, we were in this, this mission, right? This mission of redemption that Jesus sort of lived and we get to observe in John chapter 15. And what we did in this is that we moved, thank you, Logan, we moved backwards from the resurrection of Jesus to the weeks from Easter to today, and it started as it last week in 15.1. And we walked with Jesus and his disciples on their last walk together, and we had this idea, this, this prevailing theme that Jesus' disciples were finally listening. We were finally there. He had said all of this before, but to this point, they hadn't heard, but now they have heard. And our big idea last week was remaining in Christ allows us to love like Christ. That's the only way we can love like Christ is to remain in Christ. And it was this vine, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. And branches that don't produce fruit get cut up. And the problem with branches is they're useless off the vine. And they get thrown in the fire. And there's a reality for us. There's a reality that knowing Jesus is not just understanding, believing he was a historical figure, but believing in your heart that he was the vine of your life. And there's a moment, nobody was born a believer, that there was a moment where you stepped over the line of faith and you decided to follow Jesus as a personal decision. Not your parents, not because you lived with your parents or you grew up in church or every time the lights were on, you were at the church. None of that makes you a believer of Jesus, not a follower and Jesus was explaining it to them that what they believed would very much determine how they were able to survive. And his thing, the number one thing he would tell them is that to love him and to love like him, to remain in him is the only way to continue doing what he did is the only way to love like him. And the reason that matters is not so that you and I as followers of Christ We'll just be these pushover, loving people who never say a bad thing, who, oh man, we just let everybody gets to walk all over us. No, that's not the love of Christ. The love of Christ is a submission. And it matters how you love. Because what Jesus' disciples were about to endure the rest of their life and watch Jesus endure the rest of his earthly life was going to hurt. Because the people that put Jesus on the cross, the writer of this book, the book of John, would be left in Jerusalem to lead to the same Savior they crucified, his best friend. See, that only happens if we love like Christ. That's what Jesus would say. He would say, hey, you know, just be loving, accept people who make bad decisions, and, you know, just try not to judge people. No. That's all in there, but that's, that's not the the reality of what he was having them do. And so it's important that as we move on in this book that we understand the framework we love inside of is not a benefit to us. If you only love according to what benefits you, then you are not loving like Jesus. You're loving like we all did when we were little. We loved what would give us what we wanted. It's why every little baby wants to go to grandma and not dad. Right? You're like, hey, come here, sweetheart. Grandma's right there and 
you know, she's got like 17 lollipops in her pocket and she's, she's like, hey, what, uh, sugar, no sugar? What, ice cream before dinner? Yeah, that's, yeah, no wonder she loves you more, right? That's not the love we're talking about. We're talking about this love that loves because there's no benefit. We're talking about the love that grandma has for that baby, not the love the baby has for that grandma. And we're talking about the love that a father or mother has the first time they hold their baby. That baby offers nothing but what appears to be for a very long time pain, suffering. (laughs) But what you feel for that baby cannot be overcome, cannot be taken away. And that's even more the way that God feels about you. So as we walk into this framework of love, we need to understand where it's coming because it hurts. I almost just said love hurts, but then there's be, I know Clayton would be back up here playing a song, but it's true, right? See, some of my, I, my worst day ever in my life happened right here in this campus long before anybody thought I'd be the pastor of this church, a pastor in this church. Right in that parking lot was the second worst thing that happened to me. The first was a basketball story. Uh, that's not for this day, but I'm not an athlete. And one day, my sophomore year, through circumstances no one could ever possibly believe, I started the first game on JV as a sophomore at post. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Wow. It was the craziest thing you've ever heard. But, but here's what you need to understand. The next year, just the next year, I had the reality. This isn't going to work out. Right? There's no more future here. So I'm, I walked in and I talked to my coach. It was a really hard day for me. Basketball, all my friends played basketball. So I walked in and I said, Coach, I'm quitting. I'm just not going to play. And that's bad enough. Right? That's bad. And that was emotional. And my friends were like, what are you going to do? And he said, hey, I want you to be the manager. Somebody's been asked to do that too. Uh, the manager? Like, what, and this, and this, and here's the deal. If anybody ever asks you this, it's a lie. I didn't manage anything. And what he meant is, will you do the laundry? <laughs> so I did the laundry, and, and that was where, so that was this horrible thing, right? So I'm like, you know what, it's a bad day. I don't know how I'm going to really mesh anymore, right? This was a big part of my life. You know, I'm 16 years old. So I decided I'd come out and see my girlfriend, who lived in Magnolia. Showed up. She's acting a little weird. That night breaks up with me right there in that parking lot right behind there or literally it's still there got home that was very unexpected I'm emotionally hurt I've been rejected I get home and my parents have decided that they need to move forward in their marriage and they've decided to to separate for an extended period of time my dad would no longer be living in the house so I'm like really all in one day I wasn't prepared I didn't know what to do, so the next day I woke up, and I don't know why I went to school. I could have missed, I'm sure. I went to school, and I'm just stumbling into, you know, I don't even know what this new paradigm looks like because I don't play basketball, but I'm still in the hour, and I walk in, and I, my friend says, what's wrong? I said, I think I had the worst day of my life yesterday. And I told him what happened. He said, and he's standing from me to you, and he said, do you want a hug? And I I was like, yeah, actually, I do. We, I'm not a hugger. I really don't. So listen, do not hug me after this. Uh, it's okay. I'm fine. Things worked out. Uh, I'll explain later. But 
we hugged and you know what he said to me? He wasn't a believer. And he said, hey, do you think it'd be a good time to think about all the stuff that you believe in? And I thought, yes, that would be really good because see, I was not in that situation alone. I felt alone, but I wasn't alone because there was some truth inside of there that God had put in there long before that whole world fell apart, right? Long before that happened, God had put some truth in my life and I believed and I was a believer and I owned my faith at that point in my life. And I realized, and I was told by someone who didn't believe that the hope that I had tried to share with him, he said, isn't it time you actually believe what you told me? It's true. Because it, it was actually something that you could use, not just something that you tell. But it, because of the way that it affected me, now I'm standing here today telling. Because whatever you've went through, and I hope it was nothing like that day. If you're 16, I hope everything works out. But here's a spoiler. It might not. And whatever you're going through today, what I just said might seem trivial, and I assure you it is. But the same hope that my friend told me about that day that he really didn't believe himself is true for you and me, and we're going to need it. Because there's a reason that, God's, that God said, hey, guys, if I could tell you one thing, and it's the love, is because there's some things that are going to happen that aren't loving. And... That's what we walk into today. And I wish I could sugarcoat this message and I wish it could be easier. But the deal is, is that you and I have the ability through the pain that we live in. Second Corinthians chapter one says that the comfort we received through our pain, we now give to you. So whatever you're going through, whatever pain is coming, whatever unjust measure has been given to you, you need to know the same God exists and that someday your pain, as insurmountable as it feels, will bring you great comfort when someone else in that same pain can benefit because of your story. And so today we walk in here with a message that is heavy, but we walk out because we don't grieve like people without hope. For those of us who believe in Jesus, you need to know there is a way for you and I to overcome What's in our future? It brings us to our big idea today, which is this. Hatred is overcome by the Holy Spirit. It isn't removed. It isn't taken away. It's just overcome. The Holy Spirit in our lives is bigger than whatever we go through. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is now inside of us. It's not this being living outside of us. It is a equal to God being that lives inside of your heart and is ready to with you overcome every pain, every persecution, every bit of hatred that's in your life. Jesus looks at them after he explains to them how much he, they would need to love like he loves. And in John 15, verse 18 through 20, he says this, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. See, it's, what's confusing here, it's not the persecution part, right? We know about that. But it's that the verses right before Jesus called us his friend. He says, hey, we're friends. And there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. 
Jesus said that. Now, I don't know if you have a lot of friends. I don't know if you think about when you were a kid and had friends. But you know what's interesting is friends typically become like their friends. Your parents have told you that. That's why they didn't want you hanging around with bad people. So they said, hey, you're going to become like the people you hang off with, right? Luckily for me, my mom said, none of my friends jumped off buildings or bridges. So I was safe. That's why I'm alive here today. But if they would have, I don't know. It just depends what they said. I don't know. Yeah, right? But you get it, right? As crazy as that sounds, and even though nobody's really jumping off bridges, it makes sense. Because you become like friends. You talk like your friends. You say things like your friends. You point, click. It doesn't change it happens as grown-ups. We become our friends. So yes, are we friends? You better believe Jesus is our friend, but he's not our friend that's just buddy-buddy. He's, mm-mm. Is he fighting our battles? Yes, but we are fighting battles together because we are not just friends and servants, but we are friends who are serving. Jesus was a servant. He models the way we live our lives so that we are willing to put ourselves under horrific hate and persecution because he endured it also. Luke 17, at the very end in verse 10, it says he's talking about a master. Jesus is explaining to his servants, his disciples, that he says, hey, if you had a servant, do you have him come in and do you eat with your servant? He said, no, you tell your servant to fix your food and you eat later. He says, if your servant does what you tell him, do you thank your servant? No, of course not. That's not what you do. He's your servant. And in the same way, Jesus says this, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants doing our duty. Jesus is saying, hey, what I tell you to do, you do. Not because I'm going to explain it, but because that's our role. And here's why it's our role as friends, because it says this in Philippians 2, Though he, Jesus, was fully God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus is explaining to you and I that we are his friends, but his friends in pain and suffering and death to ourselves. If you want to jump on board with that, that's what he's inviting you to. He's not saying that, do you want to just have me sign your yearbook? Do you want me to like things on your Facebook page? Do you want me to always agree with you? No. He's saying, I'm asking you to do what I've already done, and I'm going to show you how far I'm willing to take it. And many of you are going to have to take it that same way. He's walking to his death, and he's looking to his friends, and he's helping them live the rest of their life on this earth in a way that would make sense. And he's doing the same thing to you and me. He said, you know the servant's not greater than the master. And that's true. And I am a servant of all. Jesus modeled this and he's telling us that we are invited as his friends and his heirs to what he received as his inheritance on earth. And that was death. But it even gets worse. John 15, 21 through 25 says this. They do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. He said, listen, it's not a personal thing. This is a God-ordained thing. They hate me. They hate you because they hated me. And if you're going to jump on board with me and they know that, they're going to hate you too. 
I've heard stories of missionaries who've lost loved ones and then the wife of the people, the wife of the man who was killed by the very people he was over there to share the gospel with went back and shared the gospel. That is because she said it's not personal. There's powers at play here that are far greater than me and I am not here for my own personal peace and affluence. I am here because the God of the universe invited me into something that's bigger than myself. That's what Jesus is inviting them into. It's a relationship based on not serving themselves, but on serving others to their death. And he said, hey, this isn't even personal to you. They hate me and the one who sent me. Then he says, they would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them. But now they have no excuse. This is John 15, 22. They have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I had done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But but as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in the scriptures. They hated me without cause. I know that you've experienced this. You've experienced things that have happened in your life that you are like, what in the world is going on? This is unfounded. This isn't true. I didn't do anything. And certainly, even for the follower of Jesus Christ, we're not exempt from those feelings. The world's against us, that you woke up and literally it appears that every force that could be against you is against you. I understand that feeling, right? You understand that feeling, but it's not true. But it brings us again to our big idea that does hatred removed by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us? No. Hatred isn't removed because we could walk out of here today and there could be somebody yell at you for how you're driving. Some of you, listen, I leave this church too. I'm going to be on that bandwagon too if you don't start pulling out a little faster, okay? (laughs) But hatred's going to exist. You and I aren't going to avoid it. You can be as nice as you want to be. You can be as pleasant as you want to be. You can be as just... Never get in controversy. Always just moving around. Be as big a people pleaser as you want. But here's the truth. Someday it's going to find you and be on your doorstep. There won't be an answer for it and it won't be fair. But are you prepared to go back to what you know? But the servant isn't greater than the master. This happened to him. It's going to happen to me. But it isn't all lost. It isn't all wrong. It's actually good news because this is happening. And I can believe it. It actually should build our faith to see the things that are in the Bible lived out. Because hatred is overcome by the Holy Spirit. So whatever hits you today, yesterday, tomorrow, last week, last year, two weeks from now, a month from now, doesn't matter. That hatred, that persecution, that malady that you didn't deserve is overcome by the Holy Spirit. Is it removed? Is the pain gone? No. But it's overcome. Someday, on the other side, something better exists that you didn't create, you didn't make, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, will be there to do one thing. Give praise and honor to God the Father. It says that he did all of this in Ephesians 2. He did all this to lift us up so that people could look at us and say, look at his great grace and mercy. And that's where we find ourselves. See, people want a sign. If you've seen in the Bible, people always want a sign. They want somebody to show them, somebody to tell them. They want you to show them what it looks like every time they jewish people ask for a sign jesus would ask him a question and would not do the sign and then he tells a story 
right? You may have heard this story. It's Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus is the rich guy. Uh, no, Lazarus is a poor guy. The rich man, well, he's rich. Um, and he has everything he wants, and they both die. The rich man ends up in hell. Lazarus ends up next to Father Abraham at the banquet feast. And the, 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 the hell of it all, right, the real hell of it is that the rich man is down in hell, and he's looking at Lazarus sitting next to Father Abraham eating a meal. And he says, hey, will you just dip your finger? Listen, this is a nasty man that this rich man never looked at. And said, so, will you just dip your finger in that water and put it on my tongue? That's the anguish he was feeling. That's gross. I almost did like a, I can't even touch my tongue right now with this finger, and I just watched it. But he said, hey, will you dip your finger in that water and touch my tongue to just for a moment relieve it? No. Father Abram looks at him and said, don't you remember? Don't you remember that you had everything and he had nothing? Then he says, but just send, will you go and will you give a sign to my family? A, a miraculous sign just so they'll believe because I don't want anybody to ever have to go through this. And he says this. If they won't listen to Moses, this is Luke 16, 31. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. When Jesus comes back, he hides himself on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? He's walking back, and these men are telling him all the things, and Jesus is telling them all the things. You know what it says? He opened the books of the law, Moses, and the Psalms to explain who he was walking on that road. Folks, what that means for you and I is that what we have inside of us is critical that it goes out. He could put a big sign up right now. He could, he could appear right here and go, guys, it's all real. Look, Jesse's really slow. Watch this. Touch fast and run around here like crazy. It would be as big a miracle. He could show up and he could change anything. He would change my eyes to pink. Whatever miracle you need, right? Someday the pain of life is going to hit you so hard that you're going to wonder if you misunderstood what you saw. But what you believe in your heart cannot be taken away. The day that I believed in Jesus and I prayed to him face down, right? He came into my life. I know that's true. And the moment I owned my faith, when I was a sophomore, there's something inside of me I'll never doubt. And so whatever we're going through, we need to understand we don't need just more confirmation. We need to tell more people what Jesus did in our lives. Because there are people out there that hate you who you are, what you represent. It's not political. It's not some sort of affiliation with something. It's not some sort of, it's just that the world hates God. And we represent God. And we take God to the places that we go. And if we don't love like God, and we don't understand that whatever we come into is going to be overcome by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, then we'll just stay home. And we won't do anything. But this is what Jesus says. In verse 26 of John 15, he says, But I will send the advocate, the spirit of truth, the comforter, some translations say. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Again, not one time does it say. The Holy Spirit will come and remove all pain. 
Jesus' prayer for his own disciples was not that they would be removed from persecution. It'd be that they would endure it. And after it, they would have the faithfulness to keep going. There's a love that we need. And that love, that abiding, the reason we continue on with Jesus is not so that we are removed from the perils of this world, but so that no matter the perils of this world, we have something inside of us that can go out, believing that whatever's inside of us will overcome whatever is outside for a reason and a purpose. Jesus looked at them. It goes into 16. Yep, we're getting some bonus coverage today. Verse chapter 16, 1 through 4. I have told you these things, these things, pardon me, so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they're doing a holy service for God. This is because they've never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. Maybe it's the first time you've ever considered that as a follower of Christ, persecution may come. Maybe you got saved like right before you walked in that door. And you walked in here and everybody's been so nice and friendly and you've never endured any persecution as a believer. And I'd like that to be true the rest of your life. But it's very likely that if you were to have just received Jesus on the outside, first, I'd like to know that immediately. Second, if you did and you walked in here, it's very likely that you will endure some sort of hate, some sort of unreasonable persecution, some sort of malice, some sort of horrible calamity that might come at you. But for those of you who've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, You've probably received a lot of things that weren't fair. You maybe even have been crippled by the reality of knowing if God is good considering the horrible things that have happened to you in your life. I'm going to tell you that he was not just good. He is so good. That he didn't just eradicate the pain. Is that he sent his son to model the way that you can make it not just a little bit, but through anything that comes. Jesus came to show you what God was willing to do, to show you the depth of God's goodness and that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but live forever. Free of pain? No. But full of purpose? Yes. Will you have an answer for every single thing that happens? No. But will you have something living inside of you that overcomes that? Yes. See, my day, right? I'm not a good athlete, right? Still not, still slow, can't jump. But that girl who broke up with me, we're married, uh, <laughs> right? And my mom and dad, the reason they split up was for a whole bunch of really horrible things. But guess what? All of those things have been removed. My parents are still together. They live in the same house we lived in. My dad is now, despite the things that he had done, is now a fully committed follower of Jesus, is a deacon in his church, and leads our family phenomenally. 30 years later. Didn't happen overnight. 
It wasn't super rosy and great the whole time. But guess what? God did something there that I couldn't do. And whatever came that day is small compared to the things that I've endured and certainly compared to the things that you've endured. But here's what I know is true. Hatred is overcome by the Holy Spirit. And if we know about it in advance, and we know the stories of those who have overcome, then when it happens to us, we don't have an answer for our problems, but we have an answer for how we're going to overcome those problems. I don't know what's coming to you today, tomorrow. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's probably going to be horrible and wrong. But whatever it is, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, will overcome it eventually. Through your power? No. But through his power. On your time schedule? No. On his. Will it be better? Yes. Do you have hope today? Yes. Because no matter what comes at you, you can stand and say, the Holy Spirit will overcome this. It's not a removal of the hate, but a way to bear witness in impossible times. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. But I can tell you this. Whatever it is, the Holy Spirit inside of you, through you, will overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we give you all that we could possibly give you. We can't give you all that you deserve. Our very best to you is worthless. But you love us anyway. And we weren't shown the way to love you so that we could feel better. We were shown the way to love you so that we could endure in impossible times with the hope of the Holy Spirit so that others may look at us and say, how? And we would say, trust me, it's not us. It's Christ in me. So we come to you today, and we thank you, and we praise you for that. And while we don't want persecution, we pray that the day that comes, the day that hatred comes into our lives in whatever form, that you would remind us of the truth of your word, that you told us all these things so that we might not lose faith. We submit our lives to you, not as people looking for an advantage, but as people ready to serve the way you serve, to love the way you loved, and sacrifice it all for the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You guys are dismissed.